In the war against sin, the Apostle Paul fears that those who say they are Christ followers will forget that he died to break the power of their sinful passions and desires, living instead by their own power with no means to conquer all those illicit desires that lurk at the core of all their hearts. Turn to Galatians 5.24 as Dave Wurtson, our Truth Encounter study leader, exposes what can deliver you from the power of your internal illicit passions that seek to destroy your life. You get hit in the face with the drug wars. I got hit in the face. Uh, Johnny Brown, I shared with you a few weeks ago how he spoke at the Rotary. And he talked about the meth labs, the methamphetamine labs that are all around. And now it's so easy to bring in meth and, and cocaine and heroin across the border that the meth labs are getting to be out of date because it's just too easy to bring in some really pure stuff. And so uh, the drug wars are very real upon us. They reminded me, being in prison and talking to these guys one after another, every one of them, drugs and alcohol, drugs and alcohol, and it made them do the policeman that just got killed and all how we need to pray for that family. And a lot of us as a church family, I know you've been joining us because there's so many of you that are in law enforcement right here this morning, and we pray for you. Uh, one of my greatest thrills as a pastor is that I drive around Midlothian. I, I see a lot of guys that go to our church, and I go into Dallas, and I try not to break the law, but it, it's comforting to know at least I'll have a friend that convicts me uh, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm going too fast. But no, seriously, I'm really thankful for all the guys in law enforcement and how our hearts go out. But here's a guy that was high on meth, smoked marijuana, no danger. Your kids are told, you know, marijuana is no big deal. But you combine it, methamphetamines, marijuana, and the guy gets his head blown off. And now the guy is filled with contrition, but a precious young family, a little girl, doesn't have a daddy. I think probably the first time that I made the connection, I think a lot of you, when I mentioned drugs to you, that you think of you know, other people that are doing it, and a lot of you that might be doing drugs have the idea that I, almost everybody that I talk to that's into drugs, they say, especially like I was raised in the 60s, the big thing, it's just me. Have you ever noticed how sin is always about just you? You know, this affair that I'm having just influences me. You know, this uh, hatred that I have and this anger that explodes, it's just me. The drug abuse that I have just influences me. But I want every one of you to know that you're connected. One of the first times that it really hit me how when someone takes drugs, like when a teenager is, has a pusher come on to them and starts taking pills at a party, that they become part of a whole network of evil. That they join an authority structure. They join an entire kingdom, you might say, of violence and destruction. I had just gotten back in 1985, I, probably a little bit after that, because the story was made after 1985, probably about 1986 or so, I came back from skiing, and before I went skiing, there was this big advertisement for drug wars, drug wars, drug wars, this big TV program. And so I wasn't going to be able to see it, so I had my wife Mary just videotape the whole thing. And so, you know, the, the, you know how those TV series drag on and on and on? Well, I'm going to watch this whole thing all at once, and I sat down. And I'll never forget it. The program started out with a young 37-year-old dad. He's underneath this car, you know. He's underneath this car like this, looking up. And he has this little 11-year-old kid, Enrique. 
And he says, Enrique, you know, get me a wrench. And here's dad underneath the car, and Enrique comes over, and, he sa- and his daddy says to him, Enrique, man, we're going to get this car in shape. We're heading back for Southern California. going to be in Calexico before you know it, and we're going to be out of Guadalajara. And, man, I can hardly wait till you get old enough. You're 11 years old now. In just a few more years, you're going to be able to drive, and we're going to have this car in tip shape. And I'm, I'm already falling in love with this, this beautiful, beautiful Hispanic kid, and he's just big, big brown eyes, and he... You can just tell he loved his dad, and his dad's relating to him like, like a good father, not cursing him, you know, not yelling at him. He's just really including Enrique in what they're doing. He, his daddy gets out from underneath the car, and he, he waves goodbye to his son and says, hey, I'm going to go meet mom for lunch. And, and I, the love of this family has already been communicated to me. He walks out on the street in Guadalajara, and he goes to get in his own car, and he's grabbed... As a car comes by, grabbed and thrown in the back of a car, and he's kidnapped in Guadalajara in Mexico. And then it switches, and suddenly I have a United States DEA agent, and Kiki Camarena is lost. No one knows what's happened to him. The Kiki Camarena story was the very first time that the United States, as a nation, suddenly realized the drug wars were real. And at the nation, Kiki was, had disappeared. A month went by. Nobody knew what had happened to him. His buddies, you could imagine, one of their own guys has been taken south of the border. So all these draw law enforcement officers are just, you know, coming down to Guadalajara. A big manhunt takes place. I'll never forget in the movie rendition of Drug Wars, a little boy is playing out in a field, and he sees a bag... And he sees two bags, and flies are flying all around it. The little boy comes, and he takes out a knife, and he opens one of the bag, and the smell is just horrendous. And then you see Kiki's fellow agents come, and they find the body of Kiki Camarena. The part that got me the most during that film is they uncovered an actual audio tape of Kiki Camarena's investigation. And you hear a guy sitting in a chair, and you hear him hitting him with a broomstick, and you you hear him go, and he says, don't hurt my family, don't hurt my family. Then you hear him hit him with a steel tire, and this goes on and on and on, and his voice gets weaker. He says, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to give, don't hurt my family. Never forget on the audio tape, you hear this thud, like a guy hitting him with a fist, and it... And then you hear this breathing that stops. So you actually got to hear the sufferings of Kiki Camarena. And as I listened and as I watched that program, I started to cry. Because it hit me for the first time. Whenever we take drugs here in the United States, we join violence that would take a young, precious daddy and just beat him in anger because Kiki had gone and burned out a whole bunch of their drug crops and the the other guy that was killed was his pilot and he had infiltrated the Guadalajara drug cartel which was a major player in South American drug at the time he had found out the connections with the government in fact he was being held just a few blocks from the consulate and all of you know this story how several high governmental officials were indicted in in the ensuing investigations 
But what really got to me is that I understood that if I, if I get involved in the drug culture here in the United States, then I become part of what happened to Kiki Camarena. And that's what most of you don't believe. Kids, you don't believe that. You're going to go to school this week, and kids will take drugs. In fact, when my son Josh and when Janae was in school, you know, especially Josh would come home, and he was offered every kind of drug imaginable. In fact, when he first started school, they said first started over at Midlothian High School, they said, hey, here's the preacher's kid. And he was kind of a wild skateboarder. And they said, hey, man, this is going to be great. We can take the preacher's kids down. And Josh was sharing with me as he's struggling to find his walk with the Lord. He can take any drugs he wants to do. And what, everyone, what, I, what I want every middle schooler to know, I want every one of you senior high students, every one of you as adults, because the drug culture works because of you adults. It's business people in Midlothian that make the drug culture possible. It's business people in North Dallas, Texas area that make it possible. And I want you to start to think about how you're connected. Satan always makes you disconnect. You see yourself as an individual and you don't hurt anybody. But Kiki Camarena died. And an 11-year-old Enrique didn't have a daddy on February 7, 1985, when they found his body. That little boy never had a daddy again because of sin. And that's what Paul means because it's a far greater sacrificial death. Kiki Camarena's story went all over the United States. For the first time, Americans started getting serious, but not serious enough because it's 2005 and we're not even close to dealing with the drug war. So we've forgotten Kiki's death. But turn to Galatians 5 because I think we've forgotten a far greater death. If you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, how many of you would say, I belong to Christ? I belong to Christ. How many of you would say, man, I want you to know, man, I'm one of Christ's kids. I'm, you know, I'm a follower of Christ. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Because the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 is right at the heart of his passage. And in verse 24, he talks about you. He says, those of you who belong to Christ. He says, those of you who belong to Christ. Who are those that belong to Christ according to the book of Galatians? It is those that have put their confidence in Christ. The Apostle Paul came to the Galatian churches. Many of them Gentiles, many of them living in idolatry, many of them living in immorality, many of them taking drugs. It was part of their religion. The occult was all part of the, day, the different Asians' religions that they were a part of. And Paul preached in their cities throughout Galatia. And other apostles went there, and these people heard for the first time that God in heaven had sent his son Jesus, and he was God's son. He was the creator's son. And then Paul told them this really strange story about how he did miracles and how he could even raise the dead. But then he talked to them about how his own people crucified him. And man, when they heard the crucifixion, that, that, was, that was like a, the most horrible thing they could ever hear about. In the Roman Greek world of the first century, you didn't even mention crucifixion because it brought all the images that you saw in the Passion, someone being whipped in the back till their blood just flows freely from their back and, and muscles exposed and the nerve endings are just tender. And a mom starts to cry, and, and all those that followed him starts to cry, and they would picture him carrying that cross through this streets of Jerusalem. They would think of crowds cursing the criminal and spitting on him. And then they would think of him having a big tree, just a rough tree, not a beautifully sawed piece of wood, but just a rough tree, like like an eight-foot tree stump, kind of, with a cross beam. And they just roughly sling this thing together. 
And then they take big spikes and drive it right through your, the bottom of your palm, right in the only area that will hold your body up, and right through the soft part of your foot. People didn't even talk about that because then the Romans would just mock and curse and laugh and play, you know, cards, the equivalent of cards, just throwing crap at the bottom of the cross because they were so hardened and callous. And you all know this story, but we've gotten hardened to it. Jesus, like Kiki Camarena, Satan's just punching on him. Satan's cutting him. Satan's torturing him. Why? Because sin is an enemy. Sin is a kingdom of darkness. Sin is a violence against the righteousness and the holiness of God. And we don't believe that anymore. You see, the Apostle Paul started talking to us about the works of the flesh. Immorality. When as a man, you start coveting someone that doesn't belong to you. You not only hurt your wife. If I were to get involved with another woman on Thanksgiving Day, Mary said the thing she was thankful for. She said, honey, I've never really, I know you know this, but I've never told you just thanks a lot for being faithful in 36 years of marriage. Would hurt Mary. You all know that. It would hurt all of you. Would tear down the incredible things that God is doing. So I need to be ruthless against my lust. So do you. Not just a preacher's thing. You need to be ruthless. I would not only hurt Mary, but I want you to start to hear what Paul is saying. Paul is saying if you belong to Christ, if you give in to immoral desires, if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to overcome them, then you re-crucify Jesus. You are joining those that nailed him to the cross. When you guys are tempted to look at pornography in the middle of the night when no one else knows, you are nailing Jesus to the cross. You are worshiping the kind of a thing. Salome danced naked before Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas lusted after her just the way you're doing in pornography. And he called in and said, I'll give you anything you want up to, up to my, half of my kingdom. And Herodias, her mom, said, give me the head of John the Baptist. And it always happens. Sexual immorality leads to violence. And John the Baptist's head was delivered on a, on a platter. And Jesus was crucified a few years later after that. Because that's the nature of the evil kingdom. Satan's for real. He is violent. He is cruel. He is deceptive. And when we give in to our immorality, it's a work of the flesh. And Jesus had to die to set us free from that. And Paul is telling us, if you belong to Christ, then you have crucified the desires of the flesh. You've crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires and its lusts. It's not saying that your passions and your desires inside of you to live and to be happy and to have a meaningful life are bad. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying there's a dark side of your personality. There's an evil side of your personality, and it's part of the drug cartel. It's part of Satan's kingdom of darkness. And it took Jesus sacrificing his life to break the back of Satan's cartel. When you give in to idolatry, when you start to live for other things, it's not just a little thing. It's a big thing. It nails Jesus back to the cross. You are joining the crowd, and I'm joining the crowd that's yelling, crucify him. When you get involved in the occult, when you start playing games with Ouija boards, and you start getting involved in drugs, which is what that word means, and you start fooling around with witchcraft and think it's all just a big joke, it isn't a joke. 
It's what nailed Jesus to the cross. And throughout the first century world, there was all those mystery religions and all kinds of secrets. Whenever you're in a group that says, I've got a secret to power and I can make tables float and I can throw chairs across the room, you might get really excited about that. But that's what put Jesus on the cross because that's the anti-God system. It's the satanic system. Is there power there? You bet. A lot of it's just magic, but some of it really is the power of darkness. I went to high school with kids from Haiti. They saw 70-year-old ladies that could run throughout the whole island on frenzy from demonic possession. Wally Turnbull, my roommate, never doubted the power of the evil one. It was real. Just as real here. And the Apostle Paul is saying, if you belong to Jesus, then you've crucified. You have joined Christ on the cross, and the occult doesn't have a hold on you anymore. When you feel that passion to get involved, you remember the cross. You go back to the cross, and you remember your Savior, your precious, precious Savior died for you there. And then we get into those big things, the things that we all take for granted, a whole list of the works of the flesh that we talked about. He talks about hatred, discord, Jealousy, which seemed to be such an innocuous thing, such a serious thing, fits of rage, living for our own passions, dissensions, factions, and envy. When I'm in the car and Mary starts to help me to drive, <laughs> and I get angry, and I do what all of you men do, you know what I do? Now, there's one time where there's nothing wrong with this. But you know what I do? I say I pull the car to the side because I've been married a long time now. I just pull the car to the side and says, you can drive. <laughs> and that's what a whole lot of you men did. You know what that's called? It's called passive aggression. It's the worst form of anger there is. There's nothing wrong with getting the car and saying, honey, I'm tired Go ahead and drive. In fact, as you grow in your marriage, you should appreciate your skills. And it's like there's times when I say, honey, you know, you're going to be thinking about this drive anyway, and I got to read something else, so why don't you, do, why don't you drive? <laughs> and that's not what I'm talking about. Men, that's one of the worst things you can do to your wife, what I just described when I described. I'm angry, and I let go. And that's what all of you men are doing. As American men, you're trained to do that. And it's anger. And you express your anger because what you're thinking of, you go ahead and drive and I hope you crash. <laughs> and that's hatred. And it's anger. And that's what put Jesus on the cross. You wives in the car are playing the old Eve game that's gone on for centuries. You can't trust that man that the Lord gave you. You don't feel safe with him. And so what you do, you don't say, honey, you're a great driver. I've driven many miles with you, and I want to thank you for the safety the Lord has given us. No, you're scared. And so you take control. Some of you wives in this room are controlling everything about your home. And that's anger. And that's hatred too because the Lord Jesus said your number one responsibility is to respect your 
husband. And respected husbands are challenged to lead. The Apostle Paul, in our culture, we've said a whole lot about Christ. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. So we have a whole lot of husbands that are like Mr. Rogers. But you know, Jesus also was strong. When the disciples, when he said, we're going to go to the other side of the boat, the other side of the lake, and they got mad at him for sleeping. He woke up and he didn't say, oh, I would just, I'm so sorry I was asleep in the boat and I'm so sorry that I'm here. He stood up and he got, he got angry with them. What's wrong with you guys? I told you we'd go over this other boat. Where's your faith? You study the real Jesus. The real Jesus will make any man in this room look like a puppy. The real Jesus looks at his enemies, the Pharisees, and says, you are a brood of vipers. You're whitewashed sepulchers. Jesus stood before Pilate and said, there's no power that you have except what's given to you by the Father. You want a man that makes John Wayne look like a little sissy? It's Jesus. And it's not just the, the, the challenge of men to go out and, and barefoot water ski or climb rocks or something. The real challenge for you as men is to join Jesus in being a leader, a godly leader, a gentle, loving, very kind, tender-hearted man, but a man that has strength. And a wife's your responsibility is not to hate him and not to be angry with him. Because that's what you're all tempted to do. Mary's tempted to be angry. You can ask her. She's tempted to be angry with me almost every day of her life. And that's the push and pull. And I just want to give you hope. There's been great progress. When I talk about the driving, you know, that's not such a big deal anymore. You can grow out of those things. But we don't grow out of it when David lets go. Like it's dark at night. Mary doesn't see really well at night. A loving husband doesn't say, oh, you can drive. I need to drive. I'm responsible for that home. It's stupid to let Mary drive when she's tired and she can't see very well because I'm angry because she asked me why there was a stop sign there and I didn't, you know, didn't slow down quick enough. And when I act like that, and you can pray for me, because I'm passive-aggressive, worst kind of anger there is, and it puts Jesus back on the cross, and slowly but surely the Lord's helping me. In the church, I'm an elder. There's times when I need to tell you, like I'm doing right now, I'm your daddy. And some of you are going to crash and burn and die because you're acting in your old sinful nature. And somebody needs to have the strength. Daddies in our culture need to have the strength. Spiritual daddies need to have the strength to say this is wrong. Drunkenness and partying. When you go to a party, I want every one of you, when you go to a party and you're going to be, Mary and I, the Lockheed, the whole Lockheed company, we had to do a wedding uh, this weekend. We were in the, in the big uh, Radisson Hotel in Fort Worth. 750 Lockheed employees there. They're jammed in an auditorium like this, holding their cocktail glasses there. I mean, I don't know how you ever handle that. I mean, how do you even drink it? The Bible, you've heard me teach. The Bible doesn't teach that one glass of wine is going to send you to hell. It won't do that. But if you need to drive home, don't you drink too much. And even if you don't have to drive home, the scripture says don't be drunk with wine. 
So if you drink, if you know I drink two glasses of wine and my mouth starts to run like drivel, then you can't drink two glasses of wine. And don't you kid yourself, oh, I got freedom in Christ. No, you don't. You are bound to him by the grace of God to be free not to drivel with your mouth because you got too much alcohol in you. Serious stuff. Mary's brother was a medical doctor, the best leading guy in their class in medical school. The very last week before they graduated, they had a big party, big cocktail party. He got drunk and made a pass at his leading professor's wife. Not a good idea. And he never graduated from medical school because he demonstrated no control. You can't have a surgeon that's making passes because he's drunk. The works of the flesh put Christ back on the cross. The Apostle Paul is saying, if you belong to Jesus, then you have crucified the desires of the flesh. The Apostle Paul uses the past tense. The moment that you came to Jesus, Jesus took all that deadly stuff and he put them on the cross. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, I gave you the verse, the Apostle Paul says, we need to live in light of that. In Romans 6, he says, therefore, count yourself dead to that old way of life and alive to God, which leads us to the next thing Paul says. Not only those of you that belong to Christ have put to death, you crucified. The moment you were saved, you were joined with Christ on the cross. Now you live in light of that. You let Jesus, through the power of his Spirit, crucify that old sinful nature. And he says, but now if you live by the Spirit, what he's saying is, since you were born again by having the resurrection power of Jesus to come and live inside of you, you don't have to be angry. You don't have to give in to hatred. You don't have to give in to your immorality because you have been made alive by the power of the Spirit. When you were born again, the third person, the Trinity, came to live inside of you. That's the greatest good news I can ever tell you. As a little five-year-old kid, my body became the dwelling place of God. Amen? Isn't that incredible? a little five-year-old kid. I have had the power of God in my life. Like Landon Sibley went into prison with us, and we heard Don on Friday afternoon, the guy I told you about, he's, he was a special forces army guy, Vietnam vet. He came to a stop sign after he got out of jail for his first murder, and guys started cur- cursing his wife and cursing him. He's in an interracial marriage. They made the wrong guy to pick on. He jumped out of the truck and killed him in a few seconds. And he talked with us on Friday how Jesus set him free from that. And five years in solitary confinement where all you do is sit in a room and all you do is see four walls and eat bread and water just about, no clothes. And he talked about it. He finally came to the place. It's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. That's a great, great story of redemption. He finally realized Jesus was crucified for me. Jesus died on the cross for me, but he rose again. And Don confessed to us on Friday afternoon, I believe Jesus rose again, and I know he rose again because when I trusted him, I took responsibility for what I'd done, and I let this new life of Christ flow. And here's this guy that looks like a great big old teddy bear now when he used to look like someone that would just take your life like that. But, you know, Landon, I looked over across across the room at Landon. I thought of praying for him when, he, when Melly was carrying him. And I thought of the friendship that Jimmy and Melly 
And Mary and I have had all these years and seeing each one of their kids be born and be praying for them. Landon's testimony is just as great as Don's. And I want all of you kids to know that have been raised in our church. That is just a great testimony. Here's a young man that took time off from college because he wants to tell people about Jesus. That is the power of a resurrected life. Just as powerful as what happened to a murderer that was saved late in life. The Apostle Paul says, if you were born again because the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, therefore live day by day by the power of the Spirit. Stop provoking each other. Stop being jealous of each other. So what the Apostle Paul is doing, he's very realistic. He's saying, I know you're in a struggle. I know this is a really big thing. The Galatian church are challenging each other. The idea is you come at each other and you challenge each other. And then you turn away from each other because you're jealous of each other. The Galatian church was all within all this push and pull. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you're wrestling with this, but here's the key to victory. He said, you go back to the cross. Enrique, that little 11-year-old kid, is now in his mid-30s. And I can imagine him getting up in high school and in Calexico, California, where he was raised. Drugs is rampant. I can imagine Enrique going to a party when he's 17 years of age and he's having a great time and the music is live and a lot of his friends are there. Somebody taps him on the shoulder and pulls him a little bit to the side of the party into a side room. And Enrique has one of his best buddies. He says, look at this, Enrique. Look what I got. Look at these, these pills right here. Man, you need to take some of these pills. If you think that rock music is high now, wait till you taste some of this stuff. And I can imagine Enrique folding his hands and saying to his friend, I got a story to tell you, pal. When I was 11 years of age, my daddy was working on my car. And he told me that we're going to be able to drive that car for a long time together. My daddy crawled out from underneath that car. He walked out in the street. And my daddy gave his life. And I've heard the tape where he suffered and bled and died. Trying to keep that stuff from getting into this party. Get away from me. Enrique, the district attorney in Calexico, California, not on the side of the Guadalajara drug cartel. He's on the side of law enforcement. Which side are you on? You see, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying there's power in the cross. There's power in the resurrection. Years ago, in a Good Friday service at Easter time, we had a cross up here, and we had ourselves write on a piece of paper. We wrote down those things, and we went up to the front, and we nailed those things to the cross. Well, it's hard to do that with several hundred people, but we can do it in our hearts. Some of you have been monkeying around with the dark kingdom, with the violent, cruel kingdom. You haven't been wrecking yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. And as I've been speaking this morning, the Holy Spirit's been knocking on your heart's door. And when I tell you Enrique's story, you start to feel like, man, that's the power I need. The power of a Savior that I love who died to set me free. 
So some of those habits, my good news for you today, you can overcome it. The Lord's helping me not to be passively, aggressively angry with Mary. Ask her. She is starting to see little bitty evidence of the power of the Spirit. You guys that cuss at the referee and then yell at your kids, you don't have to keep doing that. Nail it to the cross. Wives, you don't have to stay perpetually angry at everybody, trying to control everything. God's in control. He loves you. It's okay. Nail your pride. Nail that fear. Nail that insecurity. Nail it to the cross. Let the Lord Jesus love you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I would pray right now as we just take some quiet time as we close the service. By the power of your Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would set some of my brothers free. I'd ask you, Lord, that you would give us a new, immediate presence of the cross of Jesus. I pray that the empty tomb and that old rugged cross would be more precious to us. I'd ask you, Lord, right now that you would help some of my brothers to hear the voice of your Spirit convicting them about some of those besetting sinful, rebellious attitudes of the old nature. And I pray that they will reckon themselves, that they'll decide to nail those things to the cross and allow the power of your Holy Spirit to set them free. Lord, help us to realize we belong to you. We've crucified the flesh. We've been joined together with Jesus. And we've received this power of resurrected life. I just ask you, Lord, that we wouldn't just talk about that, but we'd really live it as we leave here this moment. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is one. 888 668 7884